I've learned that a lot of these conversations, like where you try to stretch people, you just, they may, the most civil ones may say, well, you know, thank you for that, but you know, I'm not really going to change. I'm going to keep my stance and, and that's okay. Like, it's not up to me to change them. I've, I've, I've walked away from that hero dynamic, thankfully. Hey, it's your host, Heather. Before we hop into today's episode, a quick reminder that we are doing a contest from now until the end of December 2021. Any five-star review rating and review on Apple Podcast or Podchaser will get you a mug and or sticker from Diversity on Fire. So head on over there and do that now. Uh, Screenshot it for me, email me info at Diversity on Fire, or you can post it on your social media and tag us. If you are a new listener, welcome. If you are an existing listener, thank you for coming back again. Don't forget to hit subscribe and share with everyone you know. Welcome back to Diversity on Fire. Our goal is to inspire you to think more deeply and act with more knowledge and compassion. We'll do this by sharing our open conversations on all types of diversity-related topics. My guest today began his career as a pharmacist after graduating from the University of Tennessee with his doctor of pharmacy. While serving as a pharmacist, he began facilitating workshops and leadership sessions, which set him on the path to becoming the founder of Adapting Leaders, where he helps Asian American professionals become better leaders and sharpen their conflict resolution skills. I'm really excited to dig in a little deeper, so please welcome to the show, Jerry Fu. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, hi. Absolutely. When I was looking at your bio and kind of getting other information, I... I kind of felt like I wanted to go some other directions because pharmacy right now is kind of fascinating to me, but we're going to stick to the conflict resolution. So try to keep myself on track here. (laughs) Whatever you need. Yeah, Um, absolutely. So before we dig into the business, I mean, obviously did a little bit of an overview, but before we dig in a little deeper on that, can you give us an idea of who Jerry is as a person? Yeah, sure. Um, If I had to lay out all the hats that I, I wear. Um, I, I love cooking. I love, um, you know, playing guitar and piano. I, I love salsa dancing. I love world travel. I love trying new restaurants, um, reading books, uh, staying active is a, is a big part of my lifestyle. And so I love people being around people who are active and creative and love to learn and try new things. Uh, so the funny thing is, is that for the longest time, I struggled to really embrace my uh, multicultural background just because my parents are from, came over here from Taiwan and for grad school and, you know, growing up dealing with, you know, racist taunts and, you know, just trying to feel like I belonged anywhere in addition to the, the Asian shame that my parents were using to push me forward and make sure I was a productive member of society and all these other things. And you, you struggle to feel like you belong. Um, until you realize you find plenty of other people like myself that, you know, have similar backgrounds are also looking for a place to belong. And so all of a sudden we kind of form our own multicultural community where people have all sorts of different perspectives and we're all learning from each other and we're all enriching each other's lives uh, through all the multi uh, cultural diverse interests that we have, because believe me, uh, plenty of Hispanic women don't think I can salsa dance. And it's uh, a little frustrating trying to convince them that I can. (laughs) So, it's just an uphill battle on all levels. So, yeah. Yeah. You Well, I'll tell you what. When I first read that, it was it does not fit into the preformed bias and stereotypes that are in my mind as well. And I'm admitting that because we all have them. And I love it when something doesn't fit because it's proof that, that it's all BS. Like all of those stereotypes. I mean, obviously, there's some some people fall in line with certain things that we expect, but, but most people don't, we just don't ever dig deep enough to realize that they don't. So where did you grow up? Yeah. Originally I was in Wisconsin, um, up through I finished fifth grade there. Yeah. My, for some reason, my, my dad's, uh, and my mom's academic career ended up at the one school that offered them both scholarships in Milwaukee. And, um, my dad's job options were not a lot for whatever reason, even though he finished a master's in chemical engineering. Um, his two options were either uh, Milwaukee or Buffalo, and my parents definitely did not want to go to Buffalo, <laughs> so <laughs> we cho- we chose Milwaukee. And um, so my dad had his share of 
challenges as an immigrant trying to find work. He would get shot down from jobs because they was, he was considered overqualified and, you know, uh, went back to school, finished another master's in computer science, still struggled to really help kind of unlock the career stability he was looking for. Uh, his job took him down to Knoxville at one point. So my family moved us down there. And so I finished high school in, in Tennessee on a whim uh, at my mom's behest, applied to a school in Houston, which is where I ended up going uh, for my undergrad. And when I decided on healthcare, uh, but a non-doctor path, because I, I didn't have, I wasn't that serious about becoming a doctor, said, yeah, sure, let me try pharmacy um, and uh, finished pharmacy. And uh, yeah, that's uh, that led to another set of problems and challenges in my 16 years of practicing as a pharmacist. Uh, lots of fun stories along the way. But um, yeah, about four years ago, realized I needed to, I wanted to do something different. I was tired of fighting insurance companies that would tell me how much I'm worth. I was tired of chasing scripts, you know, from doctors uh, begging them to, you know, fill uh, prescriptions at our pharmacy, because that's the only way we stay alive. Uh, but I said, you know, when I started facilitating these leadership workshops uh, nine years ago, I, I saw how excited I was to develop more people in the way I wish I'd been developed uh, 10 years ago. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of where things are now, where I officially opened my business in the middle of COVID in October and, uh, you know, just try, struggle, fail uh, and, and, and trying to get that off the ground. So, yep. Try, struggle, fail and get back up every single time. Absolutely. It's, it's hard, but it's worth it. Mm hmm. And I have to, I have to be honest. I'm surprised that it's it it just started in October because you've been doing leadership and a lot of events and programming mm -hmm. for a lot longer than yeah. than just you know within the last year. So I, I'm surprised that it's it's just come to light. But I think that's super cool. And obviously, COVID with all of the negative, it 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 really inspired a lot of people to start doing the things that maybe we've been wanting to do for a while and for whatever reason we've held back or gotten busy. I don't know. Yeah. Basically to elaborate on that, just to make sure the picture is completely clear for people. Yeah. Basically what happened was the, the journey that ended there is basically what happened was I was, uh, when I first finished pharmacy school at my mom's behest, I worked for a chain pharmacy in Tennessee where my family was living. And, you know, she's like, I don't want you to have the, the job problems that your dad had. I just want you to have the stability. And, you know, so work for them for 20 years, bank away money aggressively. And maybe one day you'll be able to do what you finally want to do. <laughs> and, and by the way, get married and have kids along the way. And so it was tough because, you know, I, I did I did this. I, I It was my choice to follow my mom's recommendations. And, you know, at one point it was nice. Like salary was nice. Benefits are nice. And then I kind of got complacent. But then after a bad customer service incident, that just realized I needed to change. I was like, well, I want to get into teaching, but I don't have a residency. I don't have a PhD. Uh, you know, how do I do this? And a friend who worked for a pharmacy consulting company here in Houston uh, said, hey, I know you're looking to teach. My previous position is available since I got promoted. Are you interested in applying for it? And I said, absolutely. So uh, I walked away from a full-time position with benefits to a part-time position, which I would have to earn my way into uh, getting a full-time position. And, you know, I was so excited for this company to work for this company because, you know, I, I'd heard so many great things about it and hopefully it would be the last company I ever had to work for. Uh, 11 months later, though, I get fired. <laughs> so, you know, it's my fault. You know, I wasn't that serious about becoming a, a credible instructor. And, you know, unfortunately, my work showed that. And so as, as hard as that was to admit, uh, it was the wake-up call I needed to realize, hey, you know what, I need to get better because my bills still need to be paid. I still, you know, I can't, I don't have time to cry over spilled milk and, not, and even doing that wouldn't bring it back. So uh, that's when the roller coaster got really weird. I ended up at a independent pharmacy house of cars where four of my paychecks bounced while uh, I was filling for crooked doctors. So bad combination all around. <laughs> I, I was like, it was jeopardizing my license. And I wasn't even getting paid for it. So that was a problem. And so I had a really misguided view of grace at that point where I said, well, you know, I'll hold up my end of the contract, even if he doesn't hold his. And everyone's like, how are you going to pay your bills, Jerry? If he's not, if he's shorting your paychecks, like, how are you going to deal with this? And I'm like, okay. So you could tell my conflict aversion was already at a, you know, at a 10 because I didn't know how to confront this boss who was clearly unreliable, right? You know, where's my money? You know, right? I didn't know how to say that without being really, really scared. Uh, but Isn't there was so weird. Oh, it's terrible. You are owed that. There's nothing yeah. wrong with you f standing up for yourself. Mm -hmm. But 
I mean, even I've been in those positions. Mm -hmm. Why do we do that? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, well, it's just, he's my boss. And, you know, what if he just says, you know, Texas isn't at will state, he could just say, I don't want to, you're fired, you know, and I, you would, there would be recourse uh, from the workforce commission, you know, if he fired me without cause, but I mean, he could do that. Like, and he could probably, you know, legally find loopholes or stall in a way that would keep him from legally obligating, you know, fulfilling his legal obligation to pay me. Uh, in fact, I, I never saw my last paycheck from that job. Uh, and that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so my friends got me out of that job, thankfully, and they got me on with another company. And the problem with that one, the new one I liked, but they said, hey, money's tight. We can't pay more than eight hours a week. And so I said, okay, you know, thank you for telling me. <laughs> so I know how to prepare for this. And so uh, they said, well, you can go work in Austin if you need more hours uh, for a store out there. And I said, it's about two and a half hours away. And, you know, it's Austin's fun. It just wasn't home. And, you know, people would tell me, well, you could end up in a lot worse places. And I said, true. It's it just, you know, I had no idea what my life was going to look like at this point. And so, you know, worked for them for a couple months. And that was the summer I started teaching leadership seminars. It was through a pharmacy nonprofit that I, some of my friends run. And they said, hey, we know you've been facilitating workshops on the fraternity side, but, you know, one of our facilitators backed out for the leadership side. Are you willing to step in? And I said, absolutely. And so, you know, I had a very fixed mindset about leadership, my leadership ability up until then, because I said leadership is hard and I'm not good at it. I don't know if I'll ever be good at it. And, you know, I just don't want to look incompetent. So I'm just not going to try. And so after teaching leadership, right, um, and seeing model, it modeled for me in, in a very inspiring and uh, effective way. And I said, well, what if I could be a good leader? And I started allowing for that possibility to grow. And so a couple months later, uh, my company offered me the chance to either be stay part-time in Austin, which was a great team, or uh, take on a full-time manager position that opened up in Houston. Um, and I said, I can't stay scared. I can't stay comfortable. I'm ready to come home. I need to take on this challenge. I got to I got to do this. So I moved back to Houston and, you know, big sigh of relief up until I get written up for not keeping my text in line. Basically, there were texts that had some bad attitudes and bad behaviors and me saying, well, you know, let me just show them more grace, which is really passive. Like, it's just, I just really didn't want to have the conversation of writing them up or possibly firing them, uh, even though I was, you know, quietly frustrated with, you know, the fact that they weren't pulling their weight. And so, you know, worked my way out of that doghouse, but um, the company had its funding pulled uh, just due to the owners deciding that it was no longer a viable business model. And so the only reason I got a job interview after that was that I had leadership experience on my resume now. And I said, wow, that was a great decision. So leadership saved my career. It opened up job options that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And the, the tough part to admit is that even after I got more job options, they were very limited. Because I, I, what I tell people is that icebergs, you know, I have more icebergs, but they're still icebergs, like they melt after one or two years, and all of a sudden, I have to look for another position. And so um, that's kind of what led to now, right, when I said, hey, you know, I'm tired of dealing with healthcare business side of things for small pharmacies, where they just kind of squash them. But in the middle of all this, I realized if I was going to take on more manager positions and expect to keep them, I need to get better at conflict resolution, like, one of the early challenges I had at the job, like that lasted 11 months was I, I initially hired a technician. She was clearly a drama magnet, like she wasn't showing up on time. And she had all these crazy stories about family members needing help. And she was the only one to help them. But even if they were legit reasons, you know, the company wasn't happy with her. And they're like, Jerry, you got to take care of this. Heather, she was also pregnant. <laughs> and they're like, you have to fire her. And I'm like, oh, let me just power through this because it's just not going to be fun anyway. Um, other fun conflict resolution opportunities I've had to deal with since then. Yeah, I had to fire a technician that I brought on with my current company, like after a year and a half of bad behavior, uh, and which went on way too long. Like I just saw the effect that it had on the company. I just really wasn't willing to deal with her. At another point, I had to evict a roommate who defaulted on his lease and basically hid in his room until I until basically daring me to finally call the cops on him. Um, and yeah, that was really ugly. And then uh, another random situation is when I served as a church class director. And uh, my first, after I'd agreed to take on this position, my second day on the job, quote, uh, I found out that one of the newer guys was sexually harassing the woman in the class. And they're like, Jerry, you got to handle this. And I'm listening to thinking, do you have a manual or something? Like, you know, like no one tells you how to do this. They're just like, do it. And you're just kind of like, oh, okay, let me fall on this grenade. And so, you know, in my coaching, uh, you know, I said, I, I initially declared myself as a leadership coach. And that's what my credential is, is in is leadership. But um, in order to distinguish myself a little further, I realized I had to niche down number one, what's my audience? 
Asian American professionals who, you know, uh, like me that may have not gotten the crash course in conflict resolution if, if they have to deal with a boss or a colleague that's not pulling their weight or, and also, yeah, conflict is like the main thing because they're ever, all my friends, they're just like, Jerry, it's conflict, like between your personal and professional struggles, like this is clearly your specialty, whether you like it or not. And the funny thing, Heather, is that, you know, in the same way leadership was a struggle that became a fascination, conflict resolution is now a struggle, has been a struggle, but is now a fascination. And, you know, I'm happy to admit I'm still growing, right? I don't come from, I don't come to anyone as some like expert that's artfully dodged all the mistakes. Like I'm the kind of guy that got drugged through the mud and somehow came out stronger on the other side and happy to tell people, hey, look, if I can can get better at this, then so can you, right? It, I, I might be a little further along, but if you look at my whole journey, you got to go through it. Yeah. I mean, you took the step. So I have a comment and yeah. then a question that will be totally based on just your own thought sure. opinion, basically. Yeah. The comment is, holy what? I did not <laughs> realize pharmacy was so dramatic. Like, whoa, doctors writing bad scripts and like you're in and they're not paying you your paychecks and whoa, okay. Um, oh, yeah. No, I, I had no idea. This is a mm. new world for me. Um <laughs> And then my question is, and this is going back to the very beginning, mm -hmm. you described being a young kid and mm -hmm. dealing with racist comments and mm -hmm. racist treatment. Yeah. And then you also said just shortly after that, also dealing on the parental side mm -hmm. or the family side mm -hmm. with Asian shame. Yeah. And I, I don't know that I've heard Asian shame used a lot, but I'm assuming you're, you're meaning like you have to do this, this or this or it's not acceptable? Is that what you mean by Asian shame? Yeah, I can elaborate on that. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, basically, basically what parents feel like the most effective way to get their kids to do something is to withhold love and affection uh, and have them earn it. And that somehow that they are less than until they jump through all the hoops that uh, the parents insist are, are necessary. And the, the tough thing to admit is that, you know, my parents told me later, hey, yeah, you know, we, we did not compliment you a lot as a kid because we were afraid that if we did that you would get complacent and we just didn't want you to think that you that you were already had enough because if we felt like you know if you weren't hungry for something you wouldn't work for it and you know i'll give an example of of um my parents trying to motivate me even if it wasn't like the the best way so at one point my dad was doing math teaching me math on a saturday morning you know course all kids just want to watch cartoons right but you know which isn't great but you know i hear i am learning math and there was a concept i was struggling with and so instead of you know maybe encouraging me um or reassuring me to say hey you know i believe you can do this i believe you can get good at this just put in the work he proceeded to teach me two words in japanese because he grew up in taiwan during the when the axis powers were um you know and in you know, at, at high profile. And so everybody in Taiwan had to learn German and Japanese. So he taught me two Japanese words. And he said, head, atama, concrete, konkuri, atama konkuri. So he basically taught me two words in Japanese to tell me that my head was made of concrete. And what the funny thing is, I could totally hear my grandpa, his dad, telling him the same thing. Because, yeah, I mean, it's just a generational curse passed on. My dad would come home with like a 95 on an exam and my grandpa would tell him, well, why didn't you get 100? This is the kind of thing that they do. And uh, so between kids telling me to go back to Japan where I belong, even though I was born in the U.S., and then parents telling me I'm stupid until, you know, I somehow figure my way out forward in order to, you know, achieve as the way that they need me to, you know, what's a kid to do, right? Well, and that was, that leads me to my question. So my yeah. question is, is your own opinion based on your own experience yeah. and now the work that you do in conflict resolution. Mm -hmm. Those two things, do you feel like they could have been the catalyst for your lack of, of desire to deal with conflict? They, do you think that they caused you to be like, no, someone else can handle it or I'll just stay quiet because then if I just stay quiet, maybe it'll go away type situation? Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely one aspect to it, um, you know, because you're just like, this is uncomfortable. This is painful. I don't know what I'm getting from this. I'm not growing from this. Let me just avoid it because like there's, there's nothing good that's coming from this, uh, even though there technically was right. It set me on the path that I'm now to realize, hey, you know, I have a passion for this. You know, does do we condone those those tactics? No, 
but can we make something of can we make something useful out of them yes absolutely right and there's something about a broken world where we can make beautiful things out of you know broken broken uh components that uh you know continues to you know inspire us today thankfully um and you know that's just part of the process but yeah so the the conflict avoidance comes for two things number one yeah this is exhausting and i hate it and i just don't want to deal with it and then number two is you know my my mom is you know one of the sweetest women i know and very much conflict diverse because she doesn't want to upset anybody and she doesn't want me to you know deal with anything difficult but the problem is if you don't deal with anything difficult you don't get stronger right um and i, I can think of a specific example Two, actually, one to give an example, just to kind of give people some context. So, one example is when one of my when I was in college, one of my other college friends was road tripping through uh, the East Side and or the East Coast, and he's like, "Hey, I'm coming through Tennessee. You know, want to can I hang out a couple of days with you or whatever?" And I said, "Yeah, sure." You know, and so you know, he comes and we watch TV, hang out, and you know, it's fine. Except he, even though he's Korean, he grew up in the U.S. and didn't realize like the high standards that Asians carry themselves with when it comes to uh, hosting and and visiting and staying over. And my mom was a gracious host, of course, for the time that he was there. But then after he left, he was just, she was just like venting, you know, I can't believe him. Like he didn't clean up in the shower. He left all his hair there. I can't believe this. And I've seen it. And this is the model I have to follow, right? We're just like, okay, let him save face. Let him have, even though they have no idea that they are being rude according to our standards like we just have to keep that to ourselves right and we just have to eventually have enough time hopefully we get over it which obviously you know it stuck with me right um and then the other example at one point one of my uh, i had a muslim friend who was dating a christian girl which you know is a recipe for you know all sorts of drama but anyway all that to say is that at one point they were on a rocky part of the relationship and he told me and he need he's he asked me for help he's like well hey can you can you help you know can you like find some scripture that I can cite for her, you know, and trying to, you know, reconcile with her. And I was like, sure, you know, here's some passages on things that might be useful to you. He copied me in on the email and proceeded to show me that it was just, he just basically took everything out of context just to basically coerce her into dating him, like, you know, dating him again. And I, I got really, really mad. And my mom was reading this with me and she saw how upset I was getting. And she's like, no, 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 don't, don't confront him. Please just don't confront him. Like, it's just not worth it. Like, don't. And it's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Everything around me has said, you know, you know, just just keep it to yourself. Get over it. And I can assure you that now that I've taken on leadership positions, that doesn't work. And me just trying to bottle everything in, you know, even if I do finally get to a tipping point, and I, everything just explodes. I mean, it doesn't help either. So yeah, that's the, those like those two angles to just justify avoidance until you realize that uh, closure is so much better than comfort when it comes to dealing with difficult people and situations, you know, and I, with those friends, you know, I don't, I don't see them anymore. And it's just kind of like, well, if I'm not going to have a relationship with them anymore, at least let me speak my mind. At least they know exactly why I was upset with them and why we had this falling out instead of me just kind of hiding until they decided that to give up on reaching out to me. Yeah, it's, you know, and I think there's nuance to it too, though, right? Mm. Because of course. you, everybody, so the standard that might be expected in your home is not necessarily the standard someone else lives by. So there's a really very probably gray line of, having grace for someone else being different versus, mm -hmm. you know, having grace for yourself and saying, Hey, I need this a certain <laughs> yeah. way. You need to respect me while you're in my house. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This, this is making me think of an article that was brought to my attention. It's a recent article. Um, and it's, it's all about how we are current society is almost scaring people into not saying things that might be controversial because we have this new habit of saying, oops, you said something and you shouldn't have said it. And now you're canceled or this is mm, the word we yeah. use, right? Yeah, like the culture, you yeah. made a mistake. And rather than it being a mistake and a learning opportunity, it now means you're done. Mm. <laughs> no career, no nothing. Yeah. And that's that's what I'm thinking of when you're saying this, because I think that honestly, everybody could use a little conflict resolution training in this regard, because- absolutely. We need to stop being so much on the attack. I mean, in, in your work, so you specifically um, work with Asian Americans. Mm -hmm. Do you 
feel like in your opinion is are there common themes that you think are conflict related specific to that community or just common themes in general that's a good question um i mean basically i see the the main trends that i guess i notice right are it's kind of one of my tags on the website but we can there might be more but the main three that i see is the first is conflict at work right uh most of the most of the clients uh, that i've had talk about having a boss that they just don't get along with or they're afraid to approach in terms of just trying to navigate a meaningful relationship because they're taught to normally we're taught hey the boss if the boss needs you just say yes it doesn't matter how much it inconveniences you or how unfair you think it is and i mean that's basically what my parents told me when i worked for this chain pharmacy for five years you know the scheduler would continually ask me to work on my days off at one point in a year i gave them 200 hours in extra work because i just didn't know i could say no like the only way i could say no is if i do i would like plan trips just so i'd have to say no and which is not healthy and not cheap right like you and i learned quickly the magic words were i'm not available this week what are you doing? Doesn't matter. I am not available this weekend. And it took several years for me to get that down. <laughs> you know, things like that, right? And then so conflict at work is one thing. Uh, conflict in the family is another kind of what we touched on, right? Where, you know, your parents have a certain idea of success, and they want you to, um, you know, fulfill it. And on one hand, when immigrants come over, they understand they're outsiders, they know they need to quickly find money and, and a reputation. And so the easiest way to do that is to become respected practitioners like doctors or engineers or accountants, right? But the problem is, right, when these are still positions um, that require you to still answer to somebody, you know, they're to say, as long as we have, you know, the degree and prestige and, and money, we're okay, which is why we get that invisible minority, right? They're just like the model minority. Hey, they're so well-behaved. They don't, you know, shake, you know, they don't shake anything. They don't cause any problems. And so that's the second one is just realizing, you know what? I don't have to do what my parents tell me. Like, I don't have to go into the profession that they have for me. And, you know, I even worse is when we have this definition of success where it's like, okay, I got the MD, uh, you know, I, I'm married with kids, you know, I did everything my parents said will be fulfilling to me. And now I've realized instead of hitting the finish line, I've opened up another set of problems, right? Because raising kids is a 20 plus year investment, <laughs> right? Your degree is not a one-time thing. Now you have a practice. And if you're smart about it, yeah, maybe if you're lucky, you'll last for 20 years. I mean, I've, I've, I've worked with pharmacists who have lost their licenses. I knew, I knew a guy in school. He was, you know, head of his class academically, had all these leadership positions, well-liked by everybody. But then he started stealing, you know, oxycodone from the safe at, at work. And of course, he lost his license. Thankfully, you know, he's, he recovered and is back on his feet. Uh, but, you know, you realize just how fragile this is. And then the third conflict is just conflict within yourself. Like, what do we even want? right? Society tells me one thing, my parents tell me another, my friends have another thing, and you're just chasing things, right? Just looking for that stability and that fulfillment. And everyone's, you know, we're in a society that's more distracted than ever. And we have companies who leverage that distraction to get our attention. And so yeah, how do you filter through all the noise? So I'd say those are the three things that I, I notice, uh, where people are saying, hey, you know, my parents taught a paradigm that no longer fits what I'm dealing with. So what are some of the ways that people do conflict wrong? Like what are the mistakes that we're making <laughs> on a regular basis that that maybe are just simple and silly, but we just are humans? Yeah, great question. I mean, I'll, I'm happy to list all the ways I failed at this. So, um, the first is avoidance, right? The first is just to say, okay, I'm just going to sit here and hope that they figure out why I'm upset with them. Because if they really knew me and loved me, that they would figure this out and take care of it on their own. If, if I wait long enough, my son will eventually take out the trash like I need him to. Good luck with that, right? Uh, so that's the first thing is like, not only are you avoiding the problem, but trying to convince yourself that it's not really a problem. Uh, the second is when people charge ahead blindly and they just really just like they rush in like a fullback, right? They just charge ahead. They don't check their territory. And all of a sudden, the story they made up in their head about why there's some level of broken expectations or mismanaged expectations is actually, even if it's justified, it's not accurate. And so now you are now you have to apologize like twice because you are completely off base about a situation. Like a simple example is, you know, let's say I like a girl and I get her number and I, I text her and she doesn't text me back in like a day or something like that. Right. And I'm just like, Oh God, like she just ghosted me already. Da, da, da. And then, you know, and then I text her that what if I follow up with the really ugly response? Like, no, I, you know, I haven't heard from you. What's going on. Right. 
And then she's just, and then like another day later, she texts me back, Hey, sorry, my phone was broken and I had to get it fixed. I'm sorry, miss. And now I'm definitely not getting a date with her because she just saw how impatient and insecure I was. Right. And so, yeah, charging ahead instead of being curious and giving the benefit of the doubt. So that's another thing. Third is not imagining what a successful conversation would look like. They just charge ahead, right? They're not really prepared. They haven't done their homework about a situation. And then to not be curious and assume that I'm right about the situation and I have to convince this other person that they are wrong and I have to kind of twist their arm to in order to um, conform to my way of, of thinking. And I, I'll give an example. So at one point, I worked with a pharmacist who dispensed the wrong medic or a medication to the wrong patient. It was written for one other person and it was dispensed to somebody else. And so me being the manager, I had to confront her on it and basically tell her, hey, you know, this is this is a problem, right? This is unacceptable. And all she would do is she would just keep blaming the technician because the technician was the one who actually wrote it up wrong. And I had to basically kind of come back to her and say, well, true or false, your responsibility is to catch and fix any mistakes that your technicians make because it is your license on the line, not hers. If like this gets up big, if this goes up high enough, right? And she would just keep saying, no, 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 I don't make mistakes. I don't make mistakes. And it's just kind of like, you can say that and I'm still going to have to report this. <laughs> you know. And then after that, you know, even as I tried to tell her, insist that she was mistaken, she refused because she, I dug in my heels, she dug in hers, right? And it, even if I was right, and I knew I technically was, like it, she, uh, the goal was not for me to get her to agree with me. The goal is to, is to help her realize, you know what, maybe I need to do something different. So if I, had, if I could do this over again, right? And say, hey, look, you know, what do you think of this? You know, and I still have to affirm the fact that I was just like, your responsibility is to catch and fix any mistakes. If she made a mistake, you have to fix it. Oh, yeah. It's like, okay, this is in the interest of public, of patient safety. Yes. Yes. Okay. So what specific actions will you take in order to prevent this from happening again? You know, so now I'm not ordering her. I'm kind of drawing out a solution out of her, right? And getting her to think on her own. And to say, okay, you know, and I can give my thoughts on whether or not I think she's doing enough. But now it's more of a collaboration than a confrontation, right? I've shifted from being on opposite sides of the table to the same side of the table and say, hey, look, the big problem is not you. I'm not saying it is. The big problem is medication errors and the safety problems that it's causing for patients. And I need your help uh, in order to make sure this does not happen. Because now my license is on the line too, which is why we're having this conversation, right? And, you know, things like that. Another is like thinking that they have to be Superman or Wonder Woman in order to actually initiate the conversation um, before they'd be like, oh, you know, maybe I'll do it today. Oh, well, I'm not really feeling like it. So maybe I'll try again tomorrow. And then they fall back into the first mistake of just avoidance, right? And so the prescription for that is just to ask them, can you find 10 seconds of courage to pick up the phone, send that email, send that text to initiate a conversation? Just say, hey, uh, I need your help with the problem. Can, can we talk? Right. It doesn't have to be super specific. You know, no one wants to feel like you're like luring them in with like false pretenses. Right. But just say, hey, there's something on my mind. I want I need your help with it. Again, that's true. That's all you have to do. Right. And then, yeah, just making sure you rehearse everything beforehand to make sure that you address all the key points that you need to address with anybody. That way you have some idea of how the conversation needs to go. And even if things kind of go off script, like you can kind of improv your way back to make sure things stay on track with what you need to do. So um, I'd say those are some of the things to, those are some of the mistakes and then how to avoid them. So I've done all of them, Yeah, like all of them. And when I think about it, so my trajectory was a little bit different is I've always been very outspoken. So it came to a point of outspoken without tact, right? So because of that, that became an issue. Right. Mm. So I kind of reverted back to, well, I'll just not say anything mm. because no matter what I say, it's going to be wrong. Right. Even yeah. though I know it's right. So, <laughs> yeah. yep. so Guilty. It's, yeah, circular thinking. Um, I had a previous guest actually um, turn me on to the Crucial Conversations. It's a book and there oh, is nice. actually a program, a yeah. facilitated program that you can go through. And I went through it and Wonderful. it's it's fantastic. But mm -hmm. the the one thing that I struggle with, probably just ego related, I don't know, mm -hmm. is that the onus is so much on you. So mm. the example that you gave where it was clearly a responsibility doesn't matter if she wrote it. Mm -hmm. It was within her responsibility level. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And she wouldn't take accountability for it. It's almost like you have to be a wordsmith. And the, for to, for her to take accountability, you have to like do it in just a certain way. Mm-hmm. Taking that and going maybe to more of an extreme when we're talking about discrimination and Asian hate. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about conflict resolution, obviously we're talking about in the workplace in family settings, mm-hmm. those are fundamental, super, super important. Yeah. Do you ever talk to people about like a de-escalation type conflict resolution? Because I'm thinking like when someone is coming at you with mm-hmm. with hate and anger yeah. for really no reason other than mm-hmm. their own BS, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How how can we work to resolve that or can we? Hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and, you know, the solution is uh, iterative, right? One thing, what works now may not work five years from now, right? But we need to keep trying. And so uh, one conversation comes to mind where, yeah, like the whole point of showing grace is not because the person deserves it. It's because it's just the, it's just the smart and wise thing to do, right? So I'll give an example uh, where I had a, a situation you know, in a societal racism right now, this is like a, something I haven't talked about uh, pre- that I usually don't deal with with my clients, but obviously it's an issue at large. So at one point I was at a networking event with a lot of internationals and they had some white people there as well, you know, that had an international interest. And so I met an older white gentleman there and, you know, this is at the height of the Asian hate crime, you know, in the news feed moment. And so he asked me, he's like, hey, so, you know, regarding all these current events, right? Like, like, is it really that bad? Like, have you experienced anything? It's like, okay, you know, this could go one of two ways, right? Either he's genuinely curious as to whether or not, like, I have my take on this is just to say, yeah, he wants to hear my take on things, or he's kind of asking if what I what I'm seeing is overrated, right? As if somehow this were not as big a problem as the as the news likes to sensationalize. And to be fair, the news cycle only picks things up if it makes them money, right? Like technically. Asian hate crimes have been going on for a while now, like the Chinese Exclusion Act, right? That should tell you how long Asian hate crimes have been going on. <laughs> uh, it's in our it's in our history. But and so with this guy, I said, okay, well, you know, I I don't. There are things I don't like about his angle, but I'm just going to engage it. And I say this not to pat myself on the back, but maybe just to give ideas on how people, other people, can engage similar situations. And so what I did was I said, hey, well, you know, look, I told him, thankfully. I have not personally experienced any physical violence and thank goodness, right? Like I'm, you know, it's not something I wish on anybody, you know, thankfully for me being in Houston, it's a multicultural city, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily a big target, thankfully. But did you know that Houston's Chinatown was built on discrimination? He's like, really? Like, what do you mean by that? I was like, they basically sequestered all the Asians and said, well, we don't want you here. So you have to go live in this part of the city. He's like, really? And I said, yeah. And you know what What made this even worse? They actually divided up uh, the district in such a way that they couldn't combine like their geography into one vote. So they deliberately like took away any political leverage that they could have had in their community that they sequestered them in. And he's like, oh, right. And I was like, yeah. So just because there is no immediate physical pain or violence doesn't mean that the system is is functioning the way that it should. There is a power dynamic that even if there's no physical violence involved, implies that we're a threat, that Asians are a threat to your level or in de- and definition of stability. Um, and so, you know, yeah, what, you know, maybe we've, I, I left it at that. I didn't, I, I just, my goal for that conversation was not necessarily to get him to apologize or anything like that. I just needed him. I just needed to find a way to lovingly and, and civilly challenge him, um, you know, and maybe just give him something to think about. And that's basically it. Like you can, I've learned that a lot of these conversations, like where you try to stretch people, you know, you just, they may, the most civil ones may say, well, you know, thank you for that. But you know, I'm not really going to, change i'm going to keep my stance and then that's okay like it's not up to me to change them i've 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 walked away from that hero dynamic thankfully but um i mean yeah things like this right where people are willing to be more open about hey what do you think of this current event what do you think of that and they're willing to just be hope um humble and open and curious and when you're willing to have more empathy for the person you're talking with right things just tend to go a lot better right like why do you why do online trolls you know cause so many problems because they haven't bothered you know, with any kind of empathy and thinking about, hey, how might this actually, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm attacking another human, how might this make them feel, right? Instead of thinking about, hey, you know what, this is another human being. And I have to be, I have to, if I'm going to treat everyone with dignity and respect the way I know I need to, and the way my subconscious doesn't want to, um, you know, how do I 
how do I get past that to be sure that, you know, my comments might actually lead to some productive discussion instead of me just sort of trying to lob bombs from a safe distance so that they can't um, find me or track me down or there's no like uh, retaliation. Yeah, it's I'm I'm so enamored by people's ability to rise above the ignorance and still be hopeful, right? I have a friend I was we were just talking last night. She's African American first generation, small little teeny tiny Midwest town. Okay, so the only black family in the town and she was talking about we were talking about leaving the door open, right? Not shutting it fully because we don't people take a really long time sometimes to come to like the truth oh, or to acknowledge the, you know, awfulness. And there was one person that she went to school with that was really, really, really awful to her. Mm. And now she calls him a friend. Wow. Now they're fr- He actually came to her mm. and and laid out what she said was the most honest and humble apology that she's ever had. And And I'm like, wow, (laughs) good Mm -hmm. for you. I don't know if I would have that in me. Mm -hmm. But I think that's the thing is people say a lot of really stupid stuff. We're we're involved in our own ego and also our own ignorance. What what you don't know, you don't know. So every conversation I have, I just love it because what you just said about, you know, Chinatown in Houston, I didn't know that. And it wouldn't have been something that I would necessarily have thought of, it comes, a lot of the knowledge comes from conversation, in my opinion, because they're not teaching that in school. I, I mean, how would you know if you don't have a conversation? So I really appreciate, I guess all of this to go around and say, I really appreciate your willingness to, in that situation, have grace and try to navigate it in the best way possible. Um, because the other thing that she did say is that for all the grace that she's given to people, we like to pretend that words don't matter, but they do stick with you. Absolutely. The feelings and the treatment and the words do stick with you. So yeah. collectively, people really need to start doing better. Jeez. <laughs> you had this. You had this. Let's switch on to something different. Sure. Um, you had a, a couple a question that I really loved. Go for it. And or or something that you put out there. Yeah. Uh, you said, "What are a couple lessons mm-hmm. or life hacks that you would tell your younger self?" Yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, if I had to tell three things to my younger self, or you know, to other people to say, "Hey, you know what? There's this. There's there's some life hacks." Is the number one. Uh, number one is uh, be okay when people disagree with you. Be secure enough where if because if you. It's kind of like when Brene talks about, you know, if you're secure in what you like and who you are, you don't have to undercut people to make them look good or to make yourself look good. You don't have to like achieve status by like cutting, you know, insulting people, anything like that. If you're secure in who you are, you know, you don't have to worry about that. They can just say, hey, I like me. And that's it. Like, I remember, you know, silly example, but it's true. Like, my, I had friends that would debate over whether or not their Super Nintendo was better than my Sega Genesis. And, you know, and they'd be like, face it, like Super Nintendo's better. And I wish I could have told my younger self, you know, be like, hey, you know what? That might be right. But I like my Genesis and that's all that matters. Right. And then they can't and then they'll be like, ah, fine. You know, <laughs> like they can't stop me from if I like my own stuff. They, so what if it's better? So what if they have better stuff? Right. Uh, another life hack. Um, number two would be read, <laughs> read Stephen Covey's seven highly effective, seven habits of highly effective people like as early as possible. Uh, because when you have the statement, you know, seek first to understand, then to be understood, that's pretty much like will keep me unemployed. Because if people just get that principle, like I don't have a work, I don't have a job, right? <laughs> because everyone will able be able to resolve conflict more effectively, you know, if they apply it correctly. Another life hack, start dancing as, as soon as possible. Like also another thing, just another habit to to embrace just because the dancing community, you know, it's not perfect like any others. There are a lot of snooty dancers out there, but the dancers you tend to meet, uh, you know, they're active, they're creative, they're musical, they're fun because there's so many lessons you learn in dancing that apply to leadership beyond the dance floor, whether it's like setting, having a good attitude, continually wanting to improve, um, you know, just the musical aspect just unlocks so much, um, you know, in terms of world perspective and other things. And you just meet so many fun people all over the world that have this joy of dancing. So those are three things. Um, number four, I guess, bonus is 
embrace like learning a new language because my parents would try to get me to learn Chinese and I did not like it. And then now I'm at a point where I really regret not putting more time into it because I still know enough to hold my own, but it could be so much more in terms of building real relationships. And yeah, same thing now, like I'm on, I've been learning Duolingo for several years now, but I'm, I'm too afraid to like, you know, sound incompetent. So it's like, okay, I need to stretch myself more, but we'll see. But yeah, I'd say those four things, if you're willing to do those four, uh, you know, even if you just tried dancing for like six months and say, hey, you know, I tried it for six months, I don't need to do it again. You know, just give it an honest shot because, you know, it's still going to, even if you don't commit to it as a lifelong hobby, it's still going to do so many things for you in terms of personal growth and awareness. Okay. I love all of those things. Those are amazing. And P.S. I just started Duolingo again. I'm, I'm like the on, on again, off again person, yeah. <laughs> but I'm back on it again. So it's, it's a great tool for people. I no, mean, I don't know why, do, why don't more people do this? We should Duolingo. We're not, this is a non-sponsored app. Yeah. Right. Non-paid endorsement for, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then dancing, I think we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but um, I mentioned I was listening to an, another podcast and they were talking about tango. And the one thing they were saying, this kind of correlates to how you said it works in, in conjunction with leadership is they were saying that, as you dance, there's like the tiny little micro expressions or micro movements that are telling people that your partner hmm. what, you know, what the next move is, what's yeah. going to happen. And I'm like, if we could all pay attention to the little things a little hmm. bit more, that would be awesome. Yeah. It would be helpful probably. Or Absolutely. maybe not. In yeah. some case, just depends. Depends on interpretation. Don't True. pay attention to too many little things. So I just want to open it up and give you an opportunity, whatever we didn't talk about, or if you want to share a little bit more specifically about your business, is there anything that you wanted to share? Sure, sure. Um, if you want to find me uh, online, you know, I have a LinkedIn profile. That's the only social media platform I've, I've, I've uh, working on right now. So feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. But if you want something more direct, my website is adaptingleaders.com. And if you visit the website, there's a, a book blog for, you know, I do book summaries and insights and, you know, application. That's all free. You can also get a download a free PDF. This is this is brand new. So I'm so excited to be able to announce this. There is a free PDF you can get uh, that will send if you give your email address. Uh, it's a, a simple framework for hard conversations. So that's all free. You can also schedule a complimentary 30 minute consult just to, you know, either tell me what you're working on or share your story. Um, you know, there are formal coaching packages. If you think that uh, my help would be beneficial to you or the organization you work for, uh, by all means, you know, get a quote and see where that takes you. But yeah, um, that's usually just the easiest way to connect. Awesome. I love it. And yeah, just to emphasize, um, you do one-on-one -on -one coaching, but also because you mentioned the, the organization, a lot of organizations right now are trying to be more inclusive, trying to understand how they can better adapt to situations. So that could be a really great opportunity for small business owners or even someone that just works somewhere and they know that that they need a little help yeah. some sort of a group program all right so final two questions are you ready let's do it okay um what would be the one thing you wish more people knew about the unique challenges asian americans face hmm. in general and in dealing with conflict yeah um i think and, you know, this could be dangerous because they might leverage this against us and not to really come alongside us. But I'm happy to share it, you know, just understand, like, just how much, you know, a sense of belonging does for us, um, you know, because if we're the, you know, kids of immigrants who continually tell us to, you know, we have uh, to tell us it's an uphill battle, right? When we get some reassurance to say, when you tell us, hey, we belong you know, and that we're, that this, this is, you know, we love having you. We want you to share more of who you are with us so we can enjoy it as well. Um, it'll go a long way to having that reassurance because we, you know, we didn't grow up with a lot of it. Um, so I say that's, that's on like the, like that's on the personal side uh, and the societal side, um, you know, I would just challenge people to, you know, look past the stereotypes because yeah, the stereotypes are there for a reason, um, you know, yeah, I j we joke about it all the time. Oh, yeah, you know, I'm great at math, right? It's just, you know, that's just part of the territory. But to, like, look past and say, hey, you know, um, if you're willing to approach with, like, humility and curiosity, maybe we can actually have some meaningful conversation and then, you know, trust that we'll return the favor. 
Um, there's a great book I've recommended to several people called Humble Inquiry by Edgar Schein. And, you know, just a really simple read and to study, you know, how can I value humility and, you know, use that to really build solid relationships, both, you know, at work and in my family and around me. Um, I think if we all had a little more of that, uh, I think I'd be amazed at the, you know, what society can do when we all decide to embrace our diversity and work toward like the, the most important and essential things. Excellent. I need that book. I will. That is a great one to add to my list because I am super curious and I want to make sure that I don't do it in an intrusive way because I've been told sometimes that happens. So. <laughs> <laughs> We're all getting better. We're all getting better. We are all a work in progress. Absolutely. And then the final question is what are five words that you would use to describe yourself? Mm, good question. Uh, let's see. Professional, not just from a vocational standpoint, but I believe uh, in the way I care myself as a podcast guest and just in, in life and as a musician and as a dancer, I believe I, I, I value the, the quality of being professional. So that's the first one. Two would be thoughtful, um, just because I, I, I like to consider peop other people's perspectives and just to be sure that um, you know I'm being considerate. Three would be uh, insightful. That's not because I declare it, but because other people have said that about me, you know, just whether all the books I read, you know, I'm usually able to pull something that's useful to somebody. Number four, you can't really say humble because that's just kind of, if you say that you're humble, like you just, you're not actually humble. So I'm going <laughs> to scratch that. Musical. Uh, I'd say that is just because from not just from a dancing standpoint, but like a piano and violin standpoint as well as just you know, musical. And then uh, five would be, yeah, multicultural. You know, how, how do you take a guy who is Asian, but does salsa dancing and learn German in high school of all things, you know, and it, it catches people off guard. And it's uh, I love it. <laughs> Yay. I love it, too. I think it's awesome. Yeah. Break everything. Do whatever you want to do. Don't conform. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you so much for joining. This was amazing. I'm super excited. Sure thing. Yeah. And uh, wanted to say you are Thank you for being the first person to actually invite me to be on a podcast. Like I've actually, oh. all the ones I've, apl I've applied for and it's, I know it's early in my stage in terms of applying and I've, but you are the first that actually says, I want you as a guest on my podcast. So, yay. So thank you. Yeah. It means a oh, lot. Oh, of course. Yeah. I saw your profile and I'm like, this needs to happen. <laughs> thank you as always for joining for another episode of Diversity on Fire. Don't forget to check the show notes to find important links to connect with Jerry learn more about what he's doing, and also connect with Diversity on Fire, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you're listening so you never miss an episode. Please share the show with everyone you know so more people can join these important conversations. Even if it's justified, it's not accurate. Thank you.